At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Good morning. It's a privilege to be here this morning with all of you, specifically for my wife and myself to be with CT and his family. I've always heard of the gaggle. Is it a gaggle of children or a pride of lions? Or Anyway, the army of people that are in his family, it's, it's, it's our first opportunity to worship together. Um, he usually only calls me when he's out of town, so this must be special. But, uh, but I am so delighted to be able to uh, worship with him and to, and to be here. It's been a while, but uh, God is good that even in the midst of COVID, in the midst of all of the mess and all of the unrest and all of the um, polarization going on in this world, God is still on the throne, amen? And uh, we are still his, his people. Praise God for, for his faithfulness every morning. In the 1950s, there was a, um, a man named Christian Herbert who was running for re-election as governor of Massachusetts. And uh, this particular day, he was running late to a barbecue because he'd been campaigning all over the state. And finally, he got to the barbecue. He didn't have any breakfast. He didn't have a chance to have lunch. And he starved. I mean, you can imagine running around without any food. And he starved. So he grabs a plate and stands in line. And he, and he gets to the main course. The lady puts one piece of chicken on his plate. He looks at that chicken and he says, ma'am. Could I please have another one? She says, I'm sorry, sir. Um, I'm only allowed to give one piece of chicken to a person. But, but I'm starved. I'm hungry. Can I just have one more piece of chicken? And she says, sir, it's one per customer. I'm sorry. Now, Christian Herbert's normally a very humble man. And he decided that today was the day that he needed to express himself with his, the full weight of his office. And so he decided to use the sternest, most, most commanding voice that he could. And he said, ma'am, do you know who I am? I am the governor of this state. And without blinking an eyelash, the lady says, sir, do you know who I am? I am the lady giving chicken. Now move along. Don't mess with that lady. <laughs> Who am I? Who are you? It's a question we've asked. It's a question our culture asks. It's a series of questions that we've heard of. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? You've asked that question, haven't you? You've wrestled with that question. The culture is wrestling with that question today because all of these questions really are a question around identity. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Are we who we say we are? Or are we what other people say we are? We just sang the song, we are who God says we are. Praise God. It's wonderful to sing, but do you believe it? Monday morning when you wake up, who are you? Are we who we say we are? Or are we what our parents say we are? Or our social media says we are? Or our friends say we are? Who are we? Oftentimes, we, when we introduce ourselves to each other, we say, I am so-and-so. The next question is what? What do you 
do. Why? Because we often define ourselves by what we do. I'm an engineer. I am an engineer. <laughs> you may be a doctor. You may be unemployed. You, you may be a homemaker. It's all good. But sometimes we define ourselves by what we do. That's right. By what we do. So the question is, does, how do we take that? Because we often find ourselves thinking that if we're successful and we get that promotion and we get that job and we get that title, that we deserve that success and that people should respond to us based on that success. On the flip side is also true. When we don't get that job or we don't get that promotion or we don't get what we think we deserve, we feel lost and we feel dejected. We feel, well, like a loser sometimes. And sometimes what we do is we take that thought process, we take that mindset, and we apply that into our relationship with God. We think that if people around us refer to us or deal with us according to how successful or unsuccessful we are, perhaps that's how God deals with us. That if we do all the right things and, and pray all the right prayers and read our Bibles, that God will be pleased with us and, and, and so he'll accept us. But that's not the way God deals with it us, is he? He doesn't deal with us based on who we are. He deals with us based on who he is. Amen? I'm so thankful that he doesn't deal with me because of me. <laughs> I'm so thankful he deals with me because of him. And that's what I want to share with you this morning is we want to look at the question of identity. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter has been writing a letter. We've been in this book this letter for the last couple of weeks, and, and we know it's written by the Apostle Peter, and he's writing to a group of Christians and a group of churches that are scattered across what is modern-day Turkey. <clears throat> and he's writing to people, writing to churches who are under great distress. They're under quite a bit of persecution, quite a bit of struggle, all because the surrounding culture doesn't understand them, doesn't understand their faith. And so he's writing to them to help them in their faith, to harness and to strengthen their faith so that they can stand firm for Jesus. And this last week, in the last couple of weeks, we've looked at in chapter 2 of 1 Peter that our identity in Christ is found on the fact that we who believe are built upon a solid rock of Jesus Christ, that he is in fact our cornerstone. And we are spiritual stones that are built on top of him. We collectively as the church of God are the house of God. We have become the temple. And last week we looked at the fact that we who believe are building our lives on Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. That was verse number seven. And then verse number eight last week, there are those who haven't believed, have rejected Jesus. And those people have looked at Jesus as a stumbling stone. They've fallen over him. They've tripped over him. They don't believe. And then we come to verse number nine. And in verse number nine, Peter quickly changes back to looking at you and me, to, at the church. And he looks at us and says, we who have built our lives on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, with him as our cornerstone, we have an identity. That we are believers who are redeemed, or are God's redeemed People. We are believers who are God's redeemed people. That's what I want to leave with you this morning. If you don't get anything else today, that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ are God's redeemed people. You see, for Peter, 
as we look at these two verses this morning, the question of our identity is bound up in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And that's what he's going to unpack for us, and he's going to do that using three realities, and I'm going to take you through that. And the first reality is that we have to know who we are. We have to know who we are. Notice the beginning part of verse number nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see, Peter begins right away with a clear definition of who you are. He says, but you are. In contrast to those who have stumbled over Jesus Christ, to those who have stumbled over the chief cornerstone, instead of being a cornerstone, Jesus has become a stumbling block to them. But instead of those kind of people, you are something special. You have an identity. Now, the apostle Peter is going to go and give us four examples or four descriptions of our identity. And when he does that, he isn't picking up some random descriptions out of nowhere. These descriptions come from the Old Testament. And when we look at these, we're going to go look at some Old Testament passages this morning. And what you'll realize is, and I need to give you this background because otherwise you're going to get tripped up. These descriptions in the Old Testament apply to Israel. God calls Israel these things that Peter now says are true of us. But I want to be very, very clear. The church has not replaced Israel. Okay, we are not the new Israel. That's not what he's saying. That's not what the Bible teaches. The church is a mystery that was revealed on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those people. And since then, the Holy Spirit continues to add people to the church. The church was a mystery. But the church fulfills today the same function and the same things and the realities that Israel did in the Old Testament. Those promises or those truths are true of the church today, and we're going to look at them this morning. There are four things that the Apostle Peter here tells us that we are, our identity. And the first is that we are a chosen race. We are a chosen race. There are several Old Testament passages that talk about God calling Israel his chosen race. Let me read one of them for you. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 20 and 21 say this. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. Did you see that? My chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. God calls Israel his, what? Chosen race. <clears throat> if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, we won't turn there, but you can make a note of it. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God calls Israel there again, his chosen race. But in that passage, he adds this. He says, I didn't choose you, Israel, because you were the best and the brightest. I didn't choose you because you were the strongest or the best looking. I chose you simply because I loved you. By the way, do you realize that that's, that truth is true today? That God didn't look down from heaven and look at the church here in Lapeer and goes, oh, look at these beautiful people. I have to have all of you in the, in the kingdom. No, 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 no. He didn't choose us. I don't know. <coughs> I'm going to burst some bubbles here. He didn't choose us because we were the best or the most beautiful or the most capable. You realize this, right, church? 
He chose us simply because in his sovereignty, he set his love upon you and upon me. And he says, you are mine. Praise God. You are a chosen race. Why? Because God chose you. He chose you. In his sovereign grace and love, he looked at you and said, I love you. Not because of what you've done. Not because of what you are. If God chose me based on what I am, I'm in big trouble. But I'm so glad he doesn't look at me because of me. He looks at me because of who he is. I praise God that he has made us a chosen race. We are a new race of people chosen by God, born again in Jesus Christ to make up a new people. You see, we are all from somewhere. We are all somebody. But more important than all of that is the fact that he chose us. And he plucked us out of who we were and made us his children. And because of that, we are a chosen race. The second thing he says to us is we are a royal priesthood. (coughs) Royal priesthood. We find that in Exodus chapter 19. We're going to read that in just a minute. But let me set the context of Exodus 19. God has just delivered Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. He's just taken them through the Red Sea. And now they stand at the foot of Mount Sinai. In chapter 20, God is going to give them the Ten Commandments and the covenant. But in chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, he says this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my, notice this, treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. There are three things in this passage that Peter also calls out is true of us. We're going to get to those in just a minute. But he says we are a royal priesthood. You see, we are royal because we serve a king. Amen? We serve a king. Therefore, those who serve a king are royal. They're part of the family. We are part. You know, William and Kate and Prince Philip and all of them, they are what? We call them what? Royals. Why? Because they are born in the family of Queen Elizabeth, right? They're royals. You and I, because we're a chosen race, we are also, help me out, royals. (laughs) We're royals. But we're not just any royals. We're a royal priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. God called Israel to be his priests. They were to be priests to God, to the nations, And within the nation of Israel, God looked at one specific tribe, the tribe of Levi, and said, while everybody is going to be priests, you're going to be special. You're going to have a special set of duties, and you're going to be my priest to my people. And essentially, priests had several duties. One of those was to mediate between God and man. You see, they represented God to man. They would take the word of God and the instructions of God and the way God wanted things done and they would take it from God and they would give it to the people and help people live according to what God had said. They would also represent people to God. 
And they did that primarily through the blood of bulls and goats. They would take that blood and they would apply it or, or present it to God because that's the only way in the Old Testament you could have your sins forgiven. Amen? All right. But guess what? In the New Testament, we don't need that, do we? Because Jesus Christ is the great high priest. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. That Jesus is our great high priest. He paid once and for all a sacrifice so that we don't need bulls and goats anymore. We don't need to go sacrifice animals anymore. He's done it once and for all. Done. Complete. Atonement is complete. So that kind of work doesn't need to happen anymore. But... We can still do some spiritual sacrifices. CT talked about that last week. At least I hope he did. If not, you can talk to him after, after church, right? The sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of giving, the sacrifice of, of the ministry of God's word. There's lots of sacrifices that we can do, spiritual sacrifices, because we are priests of God. But there's some other things that we can do as priests. You see, we as priests, as royal priests, we mediate the grace of God to people who are not yet within the family of God. You see, we do that whenever we share the gospel with someone outside the family. We're mediating the grace of God to someone else. We mediate the grace of God when we pray. When we pray for those who haven't yet accepted Jesus as Savior, that God would convict them of their sins, that God would open their hearts to receive God's truth, we're fulfilling our role as mediators, as royal priests. So every time we share the gospel and every time we pray, we're mediating the grace of God. We're fulfilling our role as priests. We are called to be royal priests to a living God. The third identity, the third description we find here is a holy nation. We're a holy nation. The word holy means what? Set apart, right? Angels around God's throne surround him day and night, and they're crying what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And anything and anyone associated with God is also holy. We're set apart. We're distinct because we have been set apart and distinct for God. We are a holy nation. The word nation can also be translated ethnicity. So in other words, Peter is telling us we are a set apart ethnicity. Last year I had the chance before COVID. Well, last year we didn't have COVID. But anyway, um, I had a chance to go on a business trip to Montreal you know, spending time with people in Montreal, you know, they're part of Quebec in Canada. They're very interesting people. They're very special kind of people, you might say. If you spend any time with them, they'll tell you they're not Canadians. They are French Canadians, and they're very proud of it. They're very special. You see, when you talk to them long enough, they'll tell you they belong to the ethnicity of Quebec. You could translate that, the nation of Quebec. Now, to my American ears, that sounded very insulting. And I mean, if I was a Canadian, like, no, 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 you're Canadian. And they'd say, you, no, 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 we're French Canadian. What? No, see, they're, they are very adamant that they are French Canadians who belong to the ethnicity of Quebec. And no matter how much you argue with them, that's what they'll tell you. See, you and I... We're Americans, and praise God that we are citizens of this amazing country. But more important than all of this, we are citizens of another country. 
We are citizens of another place that doesn't belong here. We are not for this world. We're for a world to come. And while we live here, we will vote here. Praise God, go vote. But this is not our home. We have a different ethnicity because we are now citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that is why Peter tells us we are a holy nation. We are set apart ethnicity for God. We are God's people, God's priests, God's race, God's ethnicity. We are a holy nation. And last but not least, you'll notice that we are a special possession, a people for God's own possession. I just read to you a verse from Exodus 19. Let me read for you that verse again. Verse number five. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. I just want you to recognize that everything belongs to God. You belong to God. These seats belong to God. This building belongs to God. This state belongs to God. This country belongs to God. This planet belongs to God. Are you getting it? The galaxy belongs to God. All of the galaxies belong to God. There's nothing in all of creation that doesn't belong to God. Amen? And yet God chose you. The fact that everything belongs to God is true, and yet in the midst of having possession of everything, God still chose you and made you his special possession. Aren't you glad we are a chosen possession of God? It was God who initiated. It was God who set his affection upon us, and he made us his special chosen do you know that um, many years ago, Napoleon's toothbrush, Napoleon's toothbrush sold for something like $22,000. $22,000. I mean, would you pay $22,000 for Napoleon's? I mean, it's a cruddy toothbrush that was in his mouth. But, but why did they pay $22,000 for it? Because it was in his mouth. <laughs> it wasn't about the toothbrush. It's about who owned the toothbrush. Hitler's car, the car that he owned and was driven around in, it sold for $150,000. It's not the car. It's the person who owned the car, right? We take certain things and make it special. It's not because the thing is special. It's because who used it or who owned it, right? And so those are all old news. How much would you pay for Ringo Starr's drum set? Some of you are like, oh, who's Ringo Starr? <laughs> think, think Beatles, right? The majority of the time he was on stage in a concert, he was using this drum set. How much would you pay? Would you imagine $2.2 million for a drum set? We've got one right here. Tom, Tom I think, was, was playing on it, right? $2.2 million because Tom paid for it. Would you pay it? I'm like, no, not on your chance. But if Ringo Starr was there, <laughs> I, maybe. Why? Because Ringo Starr bought, played on it. It's not because the drum set is so valuable. It's because of the person who played it or used it or owned it. My friends, God owns you. Do you understand the connection? God owns you. There are some things that money cannot buy. You cannot buy George Washington's bed. You can't. It's not for sale. It's priceless. Not because the bed is beautiful. It's cruddy. It's old. But George Washington slept on it. You 
are priceless. You are chosen by God who owns everything and yet set his affection on you because you are special to him. And the apostle Peter says, you are a treasured possession, a people for his own possession. Folks, I hope you get the point that this is your identity. You are not some castaway, some forgotten bygone. You are special to God. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy ethnicity, a people chosen to be his special possession. You are priceless to him. That is your ethnicity. That is who you are. And I'm so thankful that God chose you and that God chose me to be his special people. Amen? The second reality, and I need to go faster because otherwise I'm just going to spend way too much time here, is at the end of verse 9, we need to know why we are here. The fact that we now know who we are, the fact that we now understand identity, gives us also what our purpose is. Now that we know who we are, we get to know why we are here. And that's what the end of verse 9 tells us. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The word that in the middle of verse number 9 creates a purpose clause. It's the purpose for why you were chosen, why you have become a special people, a treasured possession of God. That, notice, your purpose, you're called to proclaim his excellencies. We, by the way, we read this just a little while ago in Isaiah 43, verse 21. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. You see, the reason you and I have been chosen, the reason you and I have been given a new identity is because and so that we might praise God. Specifically, the Apostle Peter says to declare the excellencies of God. What does excellencies mean? Excellencies. Are we talking to Queen Elizabeth? Hello, your excellency? No, no. Excellencies refers to to God's power and might to do amazing things. Let me say that again. Excellencies refers to God's power and might to do amazing things. And so you and I have the benefit and the privilege of declaring to the world and proclaiming the powerful things that he has done. Now, has he done some powerful things in your life? No? Lapeer is special. God doesn't do special, amazing things in Lapeer. Oh, no, he has, hasn't he? The fact that he chose you is pretty powerful, isn't it? It shows his amazing power in our life. He chose us. He redeemed us. He ransomed us. He purchased us. He delivered us. We're here. We're alive. That's pretty powerful in itself. God is faithful, and he continues to demonstrate his power in our lives. And notice, we are to declare the excellencies of him <coughs> who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You and I are part of God's family because of the powerful, mighty works of God on your behalf and mine that he called you out of darkness and he brought us into his marvelous light. That's what he did with Lazarus, isn't it? Lazarus was dead and buried and, and forgotten in a tomb, a cold tomb. And yet Jesus stands before that tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? He who was in darkness came out into the what? Light. 
Folks, that's what he did for you. That's what he did for me. I was once in darkness. I was once lost in my sins, but Jesus called my name. And the minute he calls, he brings light and he brings life. And I became a new creation in Christ. And I have all the old stuff is gone. And behold, all has become made new. Why? He called my name. Folks, he called your name. He brought you out of darkness and he brought you into this marvelous light. And as a result, you and I have the privilege to proclaim his excellencies to a world who doesn't know him. That's the purpose for why you and I are here. Folks, that's why it's important not only to understand our identity, but to understand our purpose. You see, that's why we gather together. It's to worship and to praise God who did do these amazing things. It's why we evangelize to bring those who don't know God into the family of God so that they too might experience the power and the, and the mighty deeds of God. That's why we pray. That's why we sing. That's why we preach God's word. It's all to glorify him, to explain his excellencies to everyone so that everyone might know through us who God is. Amen? That's our purpose, that we might make God known. And bring him glory. But I have to tell you, that's sometimes hard. Right? Just knowing our, our identity and our purpose, that's good. Intellectually, that's wonderful. But lived out in life? When our job gets hard and when we get sick or things happen in life, some of that stuff goes right out the window for me. How about for you? And so it's important then to ground all of this in a foundation that's much different than ourselves. And Peter does that in verse number 10. He grounds all of this in something much better and bigger than ourselves. Notice that we get to know what God did in verse number 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These verses come from the book of Hosea. Hosea is a prophet in the Old Testament, and God told him that he needs to marry a prostitute by the name of Gomer. And that relationship between the prophet and the prostitute was an example or a picture to the nation of Israel how they were treating God. And in chapter 1 of Hosea, verse number 6, we read these words. She, that is Gomer, conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. When she had weaned No Mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name Not My People, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Those are scary verses, aren't they? This is, we're talking about Israel, we're talking about his chosen race. The people he carved out from all of the peoples of the world to set his affection on. And God says, I'm done with you. You're no longer going to receive mercy. You're no longer going to be called my people because I can no longer distinguish you from the pagan nations around you. You've, made, you've become like everybody else. You don't get to have my mercy. You don't get to be called my people anymore. God rejects them. It's an act of judicial rejection. God casts them away. Scary verses. But when you get to chapter number two, things change. I want to read chapter two and verse 23. And God says, and I will sow her for myself in the land. 
and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. To these people who are going to be cast out of the land, cast away from God's presence, God is going to one day gather them back and give them mercy and allow them to be called his people once again. Praise God, God is merciful. And now this is in the context of Israel. But when you come to the New Testament, both the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans and Peter here in chapter 2 apply these verses to the church. You know why? Because the church is not made up of Jews. We're made up of primarily Gentiles. But most importantly, we're made up of people who are and were lost. Did you catch that? We are and were lost at one time, but God showed up and looked at all of us who were once without mercy, and we who were once not a people, and God said, I will show you mercy, and I will make you a people. Praise God. Folks, none of this is because of us. All of this is because God looked at us and had mercy on us. He chose to extend mercy to you. He chose to call you his people. And as a result, we are now part of the family of God. This is so reassuring that God has loved us and chosen us and made us his people and given us a foundation. It's because God extended mercy to you and to me. It's God's love that transforms us and saves us and rescues us and makes us into his people. If you have your Bibles, I want you to just look down a few verses to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. There Peter writes, he himself, this is Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Everything we enjoy, everything we have, it's all because of Jesus. Everything that we can claim as God's people, as his treasured possession, is because of the cross. It's because Jesus bore your sins and mine on a wooden cross, dying a death he didn't deserve, shedding every last drop of blood from his body to pay a penalty you and I could never pay. That's the reason We have an identity in Christ. That's the reason we have a purpose. That's the reason we have a foundation. It's because Jesus bore our sins on a cruel cross. Not because we deserved it. You see, we were once a people without mercy. We were once a people who were not a people. But praise be to God that he sent Jesus into this world to die on a cross, to pay a penalty you and I couldn't pay so that we might have a relationship with God we didn't deserve. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ and you're struggling with your identity. You're not quite sure who you are. Can I tell you this morning, we're so glad you're here because today you've heard that in Jesus Christ, you have an identity. You are a special people. You are chosen, but you have to say yes to him. You don't have to do anything. Just say yes. Confess your sins. Recognize that you have sinned and come short of the glory of God and call out on his name and say, Jesus, save me. And the Bible says the moment you do, you will be saved. You will be his people. You will now have mercy. You will be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people set aside for him. That's what the Bible says. 
please don't leave here today without coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Friends, if you do know Jesus Christ, may I encourage you to never forget, to never minimize, to never trivialize this truth that you and I are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's special chosen possession that we might declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were once not a people, but we are now God's people. We were once without mercy, but now we have received mercy. Father in heaven, thank you so much. That we who were nobodies, we who didn't deserve you, we who were not your people, you saved us. It's all about you, O oh Lord, your choice, your love, your sovereignty. It's all about you. Lord, there is nothing about me that would, should have caused you to choose me, and yet you did. And that is true for every single person here. But you chose us. You saved us. You rescued us from the sin and death that we so urgently deserved. And you made us your people. We don't deserve that. No one deserves that. And yet you chose us. You initiated that. And we will forever and eternally be grateful. May we lift up our voices and sing. May we lift up our voices and proclaim the excellencies of this God who loved us so much. Father, would you help us? to live out, live out these truths, to live out our identity, to complete and fulfill the purpose for which we were saved, to declare to all the world that you are who you say you are and we are who we, you say we are, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. To you be the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.